Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. March 14th, 2021, episode 189, Columbia. Hey everybody, welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. This is Kevin England and today... I'm pleased to say I have a guest with me. How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing fine, Kevin. Always, Back again. Always good to be with you. Sunday afternoon, we are in the town of Highbridge, walking on the Columbia Trail, 1 o'clock. I called you up to see if I could get, you know, go and stir crazy in the house and get out and get a little exercise and some fresh air. And uh, we've had this trail circled on our to-do list for a while and it's really god the view looking over here to the right is amazing isn't it it's beautiful yeah i'm glad you uh, coaxed me out today because i wouldn't have gone out otherwise this morning it was just so windy even though it was warm yeah but now it seems like the wind is subsiding mid 50s sunny what's not to like yeah we might get a gust of wind here or there we've seen but for the most part we're in the woods so we're protected and um you and i caught up a little bit yesterday there was a conference chester county uh conference that we're going to kind of talk about today different things now i got interrupted halfway through uh, you know and i think i've mentioned it on the show that i'm building a new apiary and uh, my twin brother showed up he brought his little kubota over boda and uh we we did some site prep for the new place to put the hives out and so I missed most of it. So I'll, I'll hear your recaps you. of what they what they were uh, talking about. I got part of it. So, what did you think of the conference overall, just well, in general? So to start, we've and I've been anticipating this conference for quite a while because just looking at the uh, the agenda, it just had a star-studded lineup. So uh, yeah, we were looking forward to it, and it was everything that we expected it to be, and then more. You know, kudos to the Chester County beekeepers. They did a great, great job. Yeah, it wasn't without a couple of glitches, at least from my side. I registered early like you were supposed to follow the instructions, but I never got the invite for the Zoom. Yeah. But, you know, I sent an email, and in short order, they rectified everything. And I got in on that first session. They were just getting started, so I didn't miss anything. Um, and to your point, the people that we saw, you know, the... The good news for me is, while I got interrupted, I know that they recorded, I think, almost all the sessions, maybe not one of them, and they're going to allow us to access them for two weeks, Yeah, which I think is a great plan for them, right? Because they ran three tracks. You couldn't possibly see everybody, but in the next two weeks, once a night, I think I'll go watch one of the talks. Yeah. There was a couple of glitches with the technology. This was the first time that I had been on Zoom where they had breakout rooms. So there was a little icon at the bottom that would pop up and say breakout, and you would click on it, and then you would click which breakout room you wanted to go in. And there, yeah. was, there were three of them. So they had a few glitches with that. They had to let people in. But uh, once it got going, it was, it was pretty seamless. Yeah, work out the kinks. So you and I, I think we went to see Deb Delaney first. We were both in the same session because I could chat with you while we were there. And she talked on nutrition. Now, we just listened to Patricia Heap 
uh, at our club and and do a uh, talk. So I was wondering how they would differ, and they were different, quite a quite a different slant on the same topic. Yeah, she was very comfortable with it too, though. So I thought she did a good job. So a couple things that Deb talked about that reinforced some of what we know, and also I thought it was a, a very interesting couple takeaways. Uh, was there anything in particular that you saw that you say, ah, that was interesting? I think it, this, it was out of this session. I could be wrong, but, and I guess I always, I knew this, but she really drove home the point that pollen subs are really nowhere near as good as fresh pollen for the bees. That, you know, no matter how hard they've tried, they just haven't gotten it to be nutritionally the same. Yeah. So that kind of just reinforced that. Well, and the other takeaway is um, in the middle of her presentation, she said in that one place where she is in Delaware, they did pollen samples across a period of time. And they were looking at the pollen that was coming in and the quality of the pollen. Mm-hmm. She had that really neat graphic that showed the ebb and flow of different pollen that they were able to detect coming in. And the key to it was the diversity. And then she summed that up in some respects saying, we are most fortunate in the mid-Atlantic region. We don't need to feed pollen. We're getting the most amazing pollen diversity and where we're at that she felt, and I've always said this, is that I don't feel like we're ever at a dearth of quality pollen. And she made reference to people in the desert who, if they did the same thing, and she showed the pollen traps that they were collecting, and then they were literally taking the pollen in the pollen traps across the seasons. Yeah. I bet she's got students doing this type of stuff, right? Yeah, sure. And detecting the pollen that's coming in. And, you know, it, it makes me interested in our pollen traps that we had. I tried mine last year, and... I'm going to do some more this year. So the one thing that stood out when she showed that graph of uh, which were the most nutritious pollens, uh, the red maples were high on the list. Yeah. And that's one of our first pollen sources in the spring. So it's good to know that's why our colonies get a good jump start is because as soon as those red maples and the swamp maples pop, They've got this nutrition pollen source that jump starts the queen. Well, and the thing you always hear and the thing that I try to repeat and make sure that everybody hears at least once if they listen to the show is how important nutrition is to the greater good of a colony survival and its ability to overcome viruses and varroa. And she, she cited specific things where how, how nutrition actually plays a role in it. And, you know, without going down the rabbit hole, one of the more important things she talked about was the development of the nurse bees and how good food made better nurse bees, which was so conducive to a super strong hive because better nurse bees make better, you know, brood in, mm-hmm. in essence. And all of it ties back to the quality and quantity of pollen coming in. And, you know, I guess the funny thing about it is 
if you feed pollen subs and your bees could have gone out and gotten pollen, gotten, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Collected. <laughs> Collected. Um, that's what happens when you talk live. <laughs> your, your grammar goes uh, a little downscale. Uh, <laughs> you know, are you doing yourself a disservice? <laughs> and people feed pollen this time of year, one, because they feel like there's not enough out there. Yeah. But I can tell you right now, I was looking at my bees, even though we only had three warm days, the diversity of pollen going in, I saw beige, I saw lime green, I saw bright orange. Yeah. They're finding it right now. They are. And it's everything, you look around, it's brown, Bob. There's nothing here no. right now. It's amazing that they found as much as they did. Yeah, but they do. So I guess the, the one takeaway for me was we should be collecting pollen when we can, when there's an excess, and freezing it. Because if we do want to feed pollen, we want to feed real pollen at some point. Yeah. So and I think the other one of the other things she said was you can take the pollen subs and add, say, a third of uh, pollen. So you can make the uh, pollen subs more nutritious. Fresh pollen. Fresh right? pollen, yeah. Right. By making Well, they also, blend. you know, I've heard Grant talk about that and say, the reason you want to add fresh pollen is because they don't necessarily love pollen subs, mm -hmm. pollen, fake pollen. I have to remember at some point to go get the label, but Tim Schuler one time at an EAS conference pointed at a bag and he said, this one, Kevin, <laughs> this is the one. I don't know if it was Mega B, Ultra B, who knows. I have a picture of it in my collection. I was just looking at it yesterday. Um, you know, but I see, I see beekeepers, a lot of them built those pollen contraptions. They yep. make them out of small pipes with a hole. Yep. BBC. And the bees are going crazy gaga over them. Yeah. I think Randy Oliver has, is either in the process of or has done a study evaluating the different pollen subs. I don't know what the results were, but it's probably worth taking a look at it. Well, I'm going to have a Kevin moment. Um, Anna Heck, Ann Heck, I think is her name. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if I got it wrong. Did a presentation this past week out of Michigan that I saw for Ann Arbor beekeepers. And she talked about when you have a dead out, sometimes you find frames of pollen. Yeah. Did you know what her recommendation was? It kind of surprised me. Freeze them? Get rid of it. Oh, get rid of it. Yeah. Huh. I guess why? It degrades over time? It degrades. And it's better if you coax them to go get fresh. If it's available, then give them old crusty. Uh -huh. I was kind of surprised by that because if the bees stored the pollen with the anticipation that it was food for the bees, wouldn't you think the next season they would use it when they come out of winter? But, you know. Yeah, and as smart as the bees, smart, quote unquote, as smart as the bees are, why would they store it if they knew it was going to degrade by the time they could collect new pollen? So. Well, and the other thing, one, we've seen entombed pollen. And yeah. if the hive died, you don't know literally why it died sometimes. So right. maybe you're taking risk at feeding that pollen to something. I mean, there were a number of inferences that say, just get rid of it. Yeah. One of the key things, and I'd never heard of this. I was wondering if you did and never contemplated it. They don't clean out pollen. 
they can't clean it out. Unlike other comb um, items, right? Say you gave them an old brood frame, don't clean it out. Yeah. They won't clean out pollen. I never heard of that, did I you? I never thought about it, but it, I don't think I've ever seen it either. I haven't either. So. It makes me wonder if you could mark a frame that says pollen and then watch it over time and see if they actually ever close it out. If anybody knows, Kevin at bkcorner.org, write me in an email and say, yeah, I put pollen in and they've eaten it or cleaned it out when they didn't want it. Because I, I never thought to take, uh, you know, observation of that. I yeah. thought that was a, a fascinating thing. You know, you listen to somebody, you must do this. <laughs> And partway through what they're doing, you just, your brain locks up because you get on to something. You're starting to go, oh, I never contemplated that. Yeah. That was one of those moments, Kevin moment. It was. Yeah, I thought Deb's talk was interesting. She talked a lot about the diversity of plants. And one of the things um, also, I actually peeked at my notes. Oh. I did take a couple notes. Good. Um, Coryopsis and some of the other plants that she mentioned, they have the plain Jane one. Not to say it's a bad plant, but it's yeah. just the plant, the native plant. Mm -hmm. And then people have done varietals. Is cultivars, that what they're called? I thought cultivars. <laughs> cultivars. Right, so they've done cultivars. And you would think that the master plant would be the best plant, but what her study showed is that and she, to be fair, was talking about the attraction to bumblebees, the attraction mm -hmm. to uh, other pollinators. And um, oh, I thought I heard somebody coming. Sorry, everybody. Just a moment there. Hummingbirds and such saying that there's a clear differentiation that you could have three or four different versions cultivars planted. And the bees will visit one, the bumblebees will visit another, and the hummingbirds will prefer another. Yeah. And it might have to do with shape or size or something else other than maybe it's a food source that the thing is providing or the timing or, I don't know, I'm riffing here. But I thought that was really interesting. Well, it goes into that whole about. discussion about are the honeybees negatively impacting the native bees? And I guess what she said, some of it at least, would argue that, no, they can coexist because they're really collecting from different plants and different flowers. Now, I'm well, not sure. But. And the diversity is, is the takeaway message, yes, right? Is yes. that they, they clearly, based on what she showed, have preferences, which I, I wouldn't have thought, you know? Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I always think a flower is a flower is a flower, but obviously they see it differently. Yep. It's the same thing you're sitting at the salad bar. <laughs> you know, and if, I always have these analogies, right? Somebody might like carrots and somebody might like celery. <laughs> Who knows, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, what I do like is a lot of these speakers now, when you listen to them, they're, they're talking about not only the honeybees, but they're talking about... You know, all the bees, native bees. Yeah. So we're learning a lot more about the native bees and what they like and how they everything fits into the ecosystem. So I think that's a, a good thing that it's happening. Yeah, but, you know, the, the net net, as always, we're learning over and over again. And, you know, I learned this early and I, 
and you don't even have to look for it. It just keeps reinforcing itself. Nutrition cures yeah, a lot of ills. Nutrition does. just is the key to making sure your colonies are strong, vibrant, healthy. They, they talked about the different vitamins, lipids, cholesterol, and the, the roles that they play in developing the bees. And all of that comes primarily, I think, from the pollen that they get. Yeah. And, and just like with humans, what is it? It's a variety, right? And everything in moderation. Yeah. So it seems to work for people and it seems to work for bees. So it makes a lot of sense. So the next uh, presentation after Deb Delaney was who? Deb Kluger. Deb Kluger. So she spoke on... Um, apitherapy. Apitherapy and more specifically the broader context of apitherapy, how it works and, you know, all the different variations on, it's not just about bee stings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think she did a spectacular job covering, you know, all of the, we, oh. we talked before we started recording, all of the different aspects of apitherapy and then the studies and information, because quite frankly, it tends to have a little bit of a mysticism about it. <laughs> you know, medicine man, uh, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, kind of like, well, it's all placebo effect. Yeah. You know, if you believe it's going to work, well, then it's going to work. But she had probably three dozen studies cited in there that actually demonstrated different work that, one, people are doing, and two, that people have done already. Some of it I've talked about on the show. I've mm -hmm. come across, you know, there's, it's out there if you're looking for it. It is. So she's... Wow, look, at, look over here to the right, Bob. Yeah. That's got to be, what, 300 feet down? Yep. To the river? That's, that's similar to what the Ken Lockwood Gorge looks like, but you're on the other side. So it's cool to see it from here, but man, is that gorgeous. Oh, and that brook is really moving too with all this snow with melt. With all the snow melt. Yeah, do you notice there's no snow here? Yeah. Do you still have snow in your yard? No. We had a couple of 55, 65 degree days this week. And that, well, and, and more so than that, it stayed in the 50s overnight that one night. Yes, right. So I think that's really what melted most of the snow. I think we, we had a little more snow than they had up here. Yeah. On on that, the western side of of Hunterdon County got socked that one day. Yeah. And we still have remnants of snow lingering, but you know, with warm days like this, I I think next week will kill it off. But you're right. This the creek out front looks yeah. like that one. Yeah, it's really it's really running. The ground is wet, but the good news is, when the snow melted, do you have crocus all over? I don't have a lot of crocus in my yard. Oh, you're going to have to take some. I do have uh, snowdrops and some winter aconite, and they're both up and thriving. I've never heard of uh, winter aconite. Winter aconite is a uh, little yellow flower. Yeah. And uh, the... it's a perennial. It's a little bulb that you plant. Okay. It comes out just about the same time as the, uh, as the uh, snow snowdrops do. I'll show it to you when we get back. Our... Our snowdrops and our crocus look spectacular this year. Yeah. We're going to actually pick up some of that crocus when it's done mm -hmm. and move it to other places in the yard. 
just to let it grow. But I mean, we had, we started with a little patch, probably 10 by 10, 10 foot by 10 foot. Mm -hmm. It's now 40 by 40 in just a couple years. So it, it moves pretty quickly. If you reseed it, you just pick up the little bulbs and put them in other places Mm -hmm. and they, they start their own little patch. And every year, First plant I see the bees on is our crocus. That, that's true. They look for it. They absolutely look for it. Especially when it's sunny. It has to be bright sun. Don't yeah. put it in the shade. But it's a great first indicator plant. Yeah. The other thing, do you have any of this skunk cabbage? You know, I've seen... Um, there's two, from what I know, there's two variations of it. One of them flowers and one of them doesn't. I have the variegated leaves that, that represent the one that doesn't flower all over in the uh, woods. Uh-huh. But I've not seen skunk cabbage in any meaningful in my property. Have you? Yeah, I don't have any. You know, you know, I have that brook that runs through my property. So there's some pretty wet land down there. And uh, I've looked around for it, but haven't seen it. Uh, what I do see, and I, this is something else I learned. Uh, who, who did the workshop on landscapes? Well, anyway, I went to that. Well, that was Marla, wasn't it? It was Marla, right? So, she was saying how the uh, greater or no lesser celandine. You probably don't know what that is either. I saw that in the the notes that they were going to talk about it, and I didn't know what it was. Yeah, so lesser celandine. I have a ton of it down by my brook, and it's a yellow flower, and it's early, right around now, maybe a couple weeks from now, and uh, but the bees don't touch it, from what I see. And it's an invasive, I found okay. out. So I should be yanking that stuff out. The bees don't seem to work it anyway, so... Or at least it's not preferred. Look, here's a little patch of snow, just as we were talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so the other talk I went to was... Uh, wait, let's... Was there anything else you wanted to call out about the apotherapy one, surprisingly? But, yeah, what I thought was interesting... Is uh, yeah, when you mentioned this on the way up that Deb is the uh, the editor of the Apotherapy Journal, yeah, which is pretty cool and it's a pretty pretty nice publication. But what struck me was, you know, she does the apotherapy on herself and on her children. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's somebody that believes. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. Walk the walk, talk the talk. Yeah, she had quite a few uh, examples of, of different things that she's done and, and is able to demonstrate success at it. And, you know, for what it's worth, this morning I was grinding some more propolis in mm-hmm. preparation for tincture. Um, I went, because we worked um, trying to work on the bee yard all day yesterday, I didn't make dinner, so we went to... Buffalo Wild Wings in Flemington and grabbed dinner and on the way back I stopped at the liquor store and bought more Everclear to make extracts because I'm out. I'm making some too. You know, this is not beekeeping, but I'm on an extract kick right now. Uh Yesterday I made um, coffee extract from some of the coffee I roast and I made I uh, blanched almonds pulled the skin off and made an extract out of that um i just made pecan extract and i bought fenugreek 
You ever you ever taste fenugreek or smell it? No. So imitation maple syrup is made from fenugreek. Because I don't know how do you make an extract out of honey or you can't, you right? Can. Yeah. Out of maple syrup. Well the way they do it is through fenugreek. So when you open the container of organic natural fenugreek, you immediately get a strong maple sense. Mm. And so you, you toast the fenugreek and you mix it with a little bit of um, vanilla extract or you put a vanilla bean in it and it makes maple extract. And I've been making homemade coffee creamers yeah. with my extracts. <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. We're, we're addicted to them. That's cool. So that all started with propolis extract. Yes. <laughs> I got on the extract page and started looking, and then the next thing you know, I'm in an extract group. And Yeah, well, I started making some more propolis extract because I had a lot of dead outs this year, as you know, and I cleaned them up, some of them up this week. Yeah. And one of my top bar hives had a damn mouse nest in it uh. and a couple of mice, and they chewed all the comb up, and it was just a mess. So I cleared it all out. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, did they piss in there? You know, the bees yeah. are not going not gonna to go for that. So I flushed it out as best I could. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll just make some propolis extract and spray it in the, the corner where the oh, nest was. Oh, that's a good idea. Right? And this way, if there's anything... I never thought of doing that. You know? So we'll see. We'll see how that works. But that's why I made that. Before we leave Deb... Yeah. The other thing uh, that was interesting is... She brought up one of my personal experiences with apitherapy, and that's gout. If you remember, back in 2018 when we were in Virginia, yeah, I yeah, had I remember. terrible gout in yep. my knee. Yep. I mean, my whole knee just swelled up, and to the point where I couldn't walk down the stairs, I was taking the escalator everywhere. You remember that, right? Yes, I do. Yep. So and there was a lot of walking at that conference. Yeah, I. So I get a lot of, I've had gout in my wrist, I've had gout in my toes, in my ankle, in my knee, and you know, I, my doctor prescribed some drugs for it, you know, when it flares up, but it doesn't really, none of them really work that well. So I decided one time when I got it in my wrist, what the heck, I'm going to sting myself. Hey. So I took, you know, I always do more than you need to. <laughs> I did about 10 stings in my wrist. And by the next day, it was gone. Wow. So I use it anytime I get a gout attack now. And again, maybe 10 stings is a little excessive. But uh, it, it seemed to work really well. What it does is it just shortens the, the duration. Because if you do nothing, a lot of times it lasts a week or so. And gout is very painful. So, you know, this might be the gorge that I was telling you about. This is what the Ken Lockwood Gorge looks like. It's a little dirt road. Yeah. And there's little pull-offs to park in. And you see people who are fly fishing through this, and it looks like the movie River Run through it. Yeah, you know? it sure looks like what you were describing. I thought it was further up. But looking at where we are, I'll know if I see there's a bridge at the beginning of the gorge where you come down. This might be the southern side of it, if if I could say north and south, or the opposite side. But no, if you didn't know where you were, you would think you're in the middle of of uh, upstate New York, Montana, or something. Right? Yes. Yeah. 
you, you say to people, okay, tell me where this is. New Jersey would be the last state they would say. Well, that's the diversity of New Jersey. It's really funny. We're on the other side of New Jersey that people just can't grasp what it, what it looks like. And the bad news is <laughs> we keep advertising how beautiful it is and people keep moving here. Yeah. Out of the city. So you always want to be the last one to move in. Don't you know that, Bob? Yes, I know. We always do. But what's cool is all the boulders from the Ice Age that this is where it got dropped off, mm -hmm. High Bridge, Glen Gardner area, yeah. is where it stopped. It's similar to like Ringing Rocks in Pennsylvania, which is the same latitude. Mm -hmm. So you see these massive granite boulders in the middle of the river, yeah. and, it, and it just is spectacular looking, really cool. It is. It's, it's, As you walk it's past idyllic. this one sitting here next to the trail. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing about apotherapy that I get is she was trying to make the case that somewhere it might turn a corner and become more acceptable. Mainstream, yeah. And you're seeing, you know, it's, its ability to possibly cure cancers and other things. And how about the, um, I wanted to ask you, Gadget Guy, the homemade oh, electric buzz thing. Yeah, to collect venom. That you could do to venom. collect buzzes. They, they put this, well, I'll describe yeah, it like a plastic sheet with embedded wires. And when the bees walk across them, it zaps them and they get mad and they sting the thing. And then somewhere along the line, they collect that venom and dry it out. And that's, they were all wearing masks, so they don't yeah. breathe it in. I thought that was a neat little factoid. I thought what was really cool about that was... You know, you always get these people that say, oh, apotherapy, well, you're killing the bees. You're having them sting you, and, you know, you're killing 30, 40 bees, blah, blah, blah. So this really addresses that, which yeah. is you don't necessarily need to kill bees to do venom therapy. Yeah, it was, that was a neat setup. And what she said, which is where we got to go look, you could buy, you know, in the labs, they have these zillion-dollar pieces of equipment. Yeah. But you could make a homemade one and put it in your hive, just like you want to collect pollen, you could collect bee venom. Yeah, what was cool is when they sting, the, the venom falls down onto a glass plate, and they let it dry. Like you said, it dries to a powder, and then they scrape that powder off. And yeah, they were all wearing masks. They looked like it was COVID time, right. but it wasn't, <laughs> just so they didn't want to inhale all that venom. I thought that was pretty cool, Yeah, I never, I never heard of that. Well, I've seen the venom factories and stuff, but never a personal yeah, how do they uh, do it? method to do it, where you could do it in your own hives. Yeah. And they had that one operation that is a family, looked like a family run. And they had tons and tons of, um, I guess, those, those homemade devices. Yeah. I, have you ever come across anybody in beekeeping that does that f as a practice? No, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that it. That was a first for me. I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. And that's what I love about these conferences. You and I were talking about the ever-living quest of being a master beekeeper and how even as much as we know, we're, we're constantly learning about different facets. And after a while, some of the things that we were surprised to learn yeah. as master beekeepers turn up all over the place. <laughs> Who was it yes. that discovered the valve, valve fold of the... <laughs> yeah. So there's always those... 1947? There's always those, qu <laughs> those questions on the uh, Master Beekeeper exam that no matter how much you study, you, you never would have studied that. Yeah. 
And so you're just taking a wild-ass guess when you see it. And the one that I remembered from 2018 uh, was who and in what year discovered the valve fold in the queen bee. And I went, huh? So yesterday I'm watching Sue Kobe, which is talking about artificial insemination, and she pops a slide up and it says, Harry Laidlaw discovered the valve fold yeah. in 1944. So, uh, you know, like I, you say, it's, you know, it's maybe it's more mainstream knowledge than you think. But once you hear it, then all of a sudden you start hearing it over and over. Another example was uh, double grafting. Right. I think that was on this year or last year. Or last year we didn't have it. But anyway, one of the last two years exams. Ago. Now, what is double grafting? And we looked at each other and went, what the hell is double grafting? Well, now, since I know what it is, I see it mentioned all the time. Yeah. All the time. So, yeah, it's, it's never-ending learning. Never-ending. And things that you think are really wild are kind of common knowledge to people that really are in the know. Well, and that's that's the art of being, let's be politically correct on this, um, a more seasoned master beekeeper. Is they, they continue, they didn't go get their master beekeeper and walk off. They just yeah. continue to keep abreast of what goes on. And Yeah. So look at that road over there. You see how it is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They tell you when you drive into the gorge, you're at your own risk because the road is completely covered with ice. And then as you drive along, if you slip four feet, you're in the water. Yeah, there, there's no <laughs> right? guard. No there's guard no guardrail. There's no, no anything, and it's complete ice. And it's one lane road. So when another car comes the other direction. Yeah. So in the wintertime, a lot of times what they do with that trail is you can only go in one, one way. way. Because it, they can't handle people. People pull off to the side to try and let another car, and they end up sliding into the... Yeah. And then they got to bring a wrecker in to tell them out. So when I worked for 911, yeah. <laughs> you know, we we would get calls of people who went in the gorge in the river. I could see that. That looks like it'd be easy to do. Yeah, and it's treacherous to walk. You see those people are walking in the grass over there because the road is just a sheet of ice. Yeah. So if you visit, visit in the moderate weather. So I was watching Les Crowder. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. And Les that. was talking about, he was making a case for top bar hives and saying, and, and I talk about this in the management mentoring, we advocate for Langstroth hives, not because they're the hive you need to use, but if you want to have mainstream support and all of the knowledge, Langstroth's the way to get started. He made a case, and he was talking about places he works beyond the United States, mm-hmm. where the simplicity, and we learned that from Africa, makes it more desirable. Yeah, he goes to Jamaica a lot, doesn't he? Jamaica was one of the places, yes. Yeah. And specifically, you know, cost, because the engineering of a frame for a Langstroth hive, mm-hmm. you know, you got the top bar, you got the sidebars, you got the bottom bars, and you got the foundation. That's five pieces to a top bar, which is a single stick of wood (laughs) and can literally be a single stick of wood. Um, So it's five times more complex. Yeah. And there was a really neat photo, and I know you've seen Les before talk, where he had two hive boxes, 
10 frames, roof, inner cover, all the parts. He had them splayed out all over the place. And then he had the four boards that make up <laughs> the top bar hive uh-huh. and 10 frames and a follower board to be kind, right? Yeah. And it really, when you see it in that perspective, it does actually, you get that aha moment. This is Lesser Celandine here, not to interrupt you. But this oh, right is here a, alongside, yeah. And it gets a yellow flower. You see how it's in the, the really mushy, it's in the super wet, yeah. wet spot. Oh, look at that. See, asking nature will provide. Yeah, and, it, and it's an invasive, so it just spreads wherever it starts. When does it flower? Now or soon? In, yeah, in the, soon. Probably in the next month or so. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, that was good Good timing. I got to see it. What, what do the flower, the leaves look like? Small. It almost looks like a clover to me. The leaves are clover-like. They're clover-like. They're round. They're in tight little clusters. They have almost a heart shape to them. Yeah. They look kind of like a lily pad. Yeah, they do. They look like miniature thumbprint-sized lily pads. That's a great way to describe it, in case you're wondering what they look like. So we laid out the four boards you needed to make a... Yeah. A top so, so he's just saying that, the you know, and then he was talking about the management practice. And, you know, it's funny because you look at it and you get caught in the moment. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of have that, like, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it a recollection of what he's talking about. Yeah. And then you come back and go, oh, come on. But the <laughs> right? thing is, he makes such a logical case for it. Yes. Right? So... You follow him and you go, you know what he's saying makes sense. It's not like this guy's off the wall. Well, it's somebody who sat down and actually took the time to analyze it and made a case. And the case is irrefutable. Mm -hmm. So here's something he was talking about. In the Langstroth boxes, you take a box off and it's almost inevitable that when you put the box back, you, you smash a bee. Right. And he talked about removing frames and crushing bees and all of that stuff. And his commentary was, you have little to none of that when you're dealing with a top bar hive. Yeah. Because you're not moving boxes around. And here's one for you. He said, sometimes crude is better. When you have slanted a Kenyan-style top bar and you don't trim the top edge to be flush with the, the um, top bar frames that rest on them. Yeah. It creates that V shape. I'm making the finger shape to you. I see. Yeah. Everybody can't see it, right? But what it doesn't do is make a flat to flat. So he said, we humans want to have things perfect. So a lot of us, when we engineer things, we'll cut that top one so it's level. Mm-hmm. I did it. And he said, why would you do that? When you put the frame down on a bee, it gets confused. And he said, the the bee feels the pressure and it locks up. And then it doesn't necessarily move out of the way. But he said, when they have that V-shape, it creates a gap where they naturally feel the pressure, but they have a place to escape to because they're on an angle. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's hard to describe, but visually it was very compelling. And he just said it's the small little things in the simplicity of the design that make for better beekeeping because 
when you crush bees, they get pissed off and, you know, they, they yes. don't behave the same way. Mm -hmm. And he talked about uh, heat loss. As soon yeah. as you open the roof of the top bar hive, all the heat comes out. Or in a flank soft hive, all the heat. But when you're working with top bar, you're, you're pulling one frame out at a time. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past, especially in the winter. The top bar being able to maintain that heat across the frames to allow the bees to move. Yeah, so he, he systematically, without draining, you know, yeah. go see him. <laughs> yeah. Talk about this. Um, I, I think I only scratched the surface, but there were a lot of really interesting little ways of thinking about it that I, that I applaud him for, you know, taking the time to kind of sort that out and, and present it in a way, really changed my perspective a little bit about it. See, you just jogged my memory. You know, I've, I've kept a couple of top bar hives for a few years now, and one of the things that I did when I first got them, so this was maybe 10 years ago, or at least five years ago, I drilled a top entrance on all of them, right? Yeah. Figuring, well, that they're, you know, that whole logic, that warm, moist air has to go out somewhere, blah, 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 blah. Well, this is the first year they plugged those holes up with propolis. <laughs> yeah. They said, Bob, what the hell are you doing? Stop doing this to us. <laughs> so now I'm going to put corks in them. That's interesting. Yeah, so that was new, and that goes... To this whole argument about do you need upper entrances, which has become, you know, in our club and the New Jersey Beekeepers Association, it's become a real issue now. We have uh, John Gott, master beekeeper in our association, who's looking at it and saying, you know, maybe we don't need that upper entrance and maybe yeah. we're actually doing more harm than good. But uh, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Plugged them right up. So Les's talk was the last one, and I, I was about halfway through. That's all I got to see. So mm -hmm. you'll have to take me through the rest of the day. And I'm, I'm interested to hear what Marla Spivak was like, because that's the one I really wanted to see. Yeah. Well, so Marla, you didn't go to Solomon, did you? I did not. I, yeah. I pretty much knew what that talk was going to be. Yeah, I'm still curious to hear what Solomon has to say. Yeah, I would have listened to it. Um, yeah, Marla talked about landscapes she basically talked about how she changed uh, her yard in the front and in the back from lawn to a uh, wildflower meadow okay and, and it's funny what she said back to our discussion about native versus non-native plants she said uh, well my front front yard is non-native my backyard is native okay but That's interesting. She gave a very interesting perspective. So first of all, it was diversity, 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 right? You need all different kinds of flowers that bloom at all different kinds of time of the year, different nectar sources, different pollen sources. So that was really the whole thrust of her, uh, of her talk. Wait, I have a Kevin moment. You're, you're better at this than I am. There's a guy in Europe... I want to say UK somewhere. That's treatment-free. Been forever. People have looked at his bees and verified treatment-free and all of that. You know who I'm talking about? Kephas? John Kephas? Yes. When you see videos of him in his property, mm -hmm. 
the place looks like a nursery. There's plants everywhere yeah. of all different kinds. You could tell that the guy is some kind of gardener or whatever. When you're describing what Marla does, it makes me think of that. Yeah. And we just talked about the diversity of nutrition and all that. And you wonder if that oasis kind of thing creates a specific kind of condition. Yeah. So, sorry. So, she, up, was, Kevin, she was telling us, you know, how to get started doing this. And she said, well, you know, in the beginning, you get looks and comments from your neighbors yeah. about, hey, when are you going to mow the lawn or... You can clean up that yard. So she said, the way to deal with that is you just put a sign out that says, Wildflower Meadow. Yeah, wild, yeah, Wildflower Meadow in progress. And then everybody is, oh, yeah, save the pollinators. Great, great, great. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was pretty funny. I but, think the closest I've ever seen to that is what Dave Leary did in his backyard. That's astonishing. Yeah. And when you walk through his little trellis and you look left and right and you see the just, you know, I remember my, my aunt's house in Pennsylvania, my wife's aunt's house in Pennsylvania, where she had a butterfly bush. Mm-hmm. And there were bazillion butterflies. It looked like something out of a movie. I mean, yeah. that's, what, that's what Dave's property looked like to yeah. me. Yeah. So she, she was just a, uh, a, a fountain of information, though. What I really like best... Did she talk any... Was she the one that, that was in... I want to say Minnesota. She is, yes. And talked about how all the hive things are interconnected because they're also they're all within flying distance of each other. Yeah, Did any of that come out? That was her. She was talking about how there are so many beekeepers now in the area that she has her hives that she actually tries to discourage new beekeepers from keeping hives. And instead says to them, listen, we're at our maximum carrying capacity here. We don't need more hives. The bees are not in trouble. Yeah. We don't need to save the bees. What we need is we need more forage. So plant a pollinator. You want to do something for the bees? Plant a pollinator garden. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I that's mean, interesting. I specifically said, I try to discourage a lot of the new beekeepers because there's so many now. And a lot of them want to be treatment-free, and they don't treat, and they're impacting other people's bees. And she said, you want to help the bees plant forage. I think I forwarded you an interesting study on treatment-free. Did you get that? You know what yes. I'm talking about? Yes, you did. I didn't get a chance to read it, but it made a case for treatment-free. And it was out of Europe? Yep. So I'm, I'm, someday I'm going to talk about that. I, I skimmed it really, really quickly, but it's how you could become treatment-free starting out with like, I think it was like 75 hives or 50 hives and going from there. I, I didn't read it through, so I shouldn't talk about it. Yeah, me too. That's why I didn't say anything. Actually, yeah. I didn't say about something because I've been observing it, but I think I'm ready to talk about it. Um, F-A-O, resource out of Italy. Or is it FOA? I don't remember. Um, I sent you a link. This is where the propolis tincture recipe oh, came from oh, when I was yes. searching. Yes. So it was mentioned yesterday by Deb Klugers. And a couple things that she talked about made specific reference to this guide. And so I wanted to share this with everybody and just take a minute and talk about it. 
I, I wish I was sitting in front of a computer because I would do this justice, but um, FAO, FOA is uh, some, something to do with agriculture. And ultimately it looks like someone took it upon themselves to document a significant amount of information related to the honey industry and how to become someone in the honey industry in almost every facet you could want. Mm -hmm. And this guide, which was ridiculously extensive, built in 1996, is amazing. Amazing. It has so many things about beekeeping that we can't begin to list them. But one of the things that's in there is a propolis tincture and the uh, pollen tincture that I made mm -hmm. and some of the other stuff that we've been talking about lately. Now, I mentioned I made a um, <laughs> honey jelly Yeah, <laughs> out of that. That's right. It didn't work. <laughs> Failed miserably. Uh. Uh, not, no good. But I'm happy to report, and I'll do this on the next show, I promise that I figured out how to make honey jelly. Uh -huh. And I've had peanut butter and honey jelly for breakfast quite a bit now. Nice. Boy, this bridge is cool, isn't it? It is. We're on a bridge that's what, 80 yards? Yeah. Over the river. So now we're crossing over to the other side. Look at the guy in the river down here. If we could describe this as we're standing in the middle of the bridge, we're probably... Oh, no. <laughs> Yo. My phone almost fell out into the river. That was close. That would have been bad. We're 100 feet up. Am I wrong? I'm never good at distance. And this guy is standing in hip waders fishing. Fly fishing. And it's amazing. It looks like a movie. Oh, my God. I can't believe how close I was to dropping my phone in the river. It was only about four inches from going over the edge. It fell out of my pocket. So what else in the conference? We could probably wrap this up um, talking about it forever, but uh, you go to Michael Palmer? No, I didn't. We I, went to the Q&A. Yeah. Did you go to Michael Palmer, by the way? I didn't. Oh, you know, the, it's, that's on YouTube, that talk. Yeah. I, I saw him do that about two weeks ago. So I didn't go there. I've seen that talk a couple times yeah. from Michael. It's amazing talk, but I, I yeah. don't... What I did was I went in at the end because I wanted to hear the Q&A. I always love to hear him answer questions. I got to see Randy Oliver come in and do his little, when should I be back and whatever. But uh -huh. it was good to see Randy in with his health problems and stuff. Um, still plugging away. Yeah. Were you there for that when it was part of part of his was videotaped, right? Because it was video, yeah, because his his throat problems, he can't talk. Yeah, yeah. It's it wears on him, but he could come back and answer questions. So they pre-recorded his talk, mm -hmm. and then he came back and answered questions about it. Just think about that lineup. Think about the names we've mentioned so far. Yeah. Right. And I sat in on a couple of Dewey's sessions. They were good. They were good. Basic fundamental stuff. Resource hives was one of them. I think Dewey's one of the one of the folks that's out there that makes sure that the basic, you know, it's not that Dewey can't talk about any topic, but the right. basic curriculum stays true in these conferences, right? Because yeah, yeah. you know, who, 
who in the basic world is going to want to know about it's neat to know about artificial but you never use it right right but what dewey talks about is beekeeping <laughs> practices cool. and logic and he really addresses kind of that intermediate beekeeper yeah the, the one who's you know got three to five years in and maybe you know really needs to know a little bit more or a refresher on some of the things they do know so he was good it was good seeing him yeah the other thing about dewey is he's done this so long he has that college professor way to just distill yeah. it down and give you the information without you know he gets to the point basically yeah, which is great it was really good seeing him again. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to going back and doing the recordings. Yeah. So so I want to talk a little bit about, let's go to local hive report and we'll kind of wrap things up. For me, mm-hmm. it's too early. <laughs> I'm, I'm still on that, you know, it's uh-huh. too early. And I'm right. Um, what was it, 27 last night for a low? Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. Because, you know, I mentor a few people here and there, right? Yeah. Well, this last week when we got that 65-degree day, and we had a 70-degree day yeah, too, we I did. think, right? We had three 60-plus degree days. I start getting emails from my mentees. Should I reverse the boxes? Yes, me too. I, I, I a, answered one of those Should I do this a week. split yet? Should I start looking for queen cells? Yeah. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> What's, you know, so there's, a, there's an upside and a downside. The downside is they got the timing all wrong. Right. But the upside is they learn, they understand what needs to be done. Yeah. So I, so I thought. Yeah, that's that was, a good way to think about it. Was it pretty actually. cool. They just got to get the timing down. So. Well, I saw a post from Landy Simone. The afternoon, I came in, um, and and I had a broadcast that Monday night. And I was surfing Facebook a little bit, and I saw a post, and Landy said she went through a bunch of her hives, and what she saw was no brood, small little patch, if anything, and maybe the queen was late. I think it's too early to go in your hives. I think we need to turn around, because this is all ice from here. (laughs) So I I had two of my mentees... Yeah. write to me and say just that. I went in my hive, and I, there was no brood. Am I queenless? Do I need to get a queen? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know what? Close it up, wait two weeks, and go back in. Just like the wind picked up over here. It came around this corner. Yeah. Um, I think what Landy said, too, was she, she has some hives where, yeah, there's, there is a lot of brood, but then there's others that aren't. And it just depends on the queen I and guess. the hive. I, I'm, I was almost curious to open my poly hives and see what was going on in there. Mm-hmm. But I know the answer to that. And I'll, I'll tell you in a second. But but so on Facebook, yeah, I know you're a bunch of different groups and you see these messages. Yeah. This is a time of year where everybody comes and says, all my hives died. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. seen dozens this year. Yeah. Which is odd to me. Because a lot of people I know did really well. Like Landy said, she had 99%. Mm-hmm. I think she lost one or two nukes out of her entire operation or yeah, something like that. I saw that. Which is great. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. Well, Word, Kevin moment. Mm-hmm. 
If you get to see Landy talk, listen to what she says. Yes. <laughs> it works. That's right. And honestly, I'll give all the credit. My, a lot of my plan came from her Chester County talk back in 16 or 17, where yeah. she broke out a year in the apiary. That's when the lights turned on for me. Yeah. Before yeah. I was a master beekeeper, I was struggling to figure out the cadence, and Landy yeah. gave, and mine's not the same as hers, but it's based on hers, so... Good she beekeeper. Is, she is a master beekeeper's master beekeeper. Yes, without a doubt. She shares her knowledge, and her knowledge is good, and it's based on experience. It's based on knowledge and experience. Well, and you and I have talked about that dynamic of somebody who has so many hives in her in them all the time. The learning yeah. curve is spectacular. Yeah. They can learn so much more than someone who has two hives in the backyard. So, so note to self. But I see so many people who lost their hives... It compelled me, and I talked to you about this, to write uh, a presentation on how to do a hive autopsy. I'm, I'm in the process of making one of those, so I have one in the vault. Yeah. Because so, I've seen talks on that off and on, and I don't think they do a great job, honestly. Well, that's a special subject for you, too. Yeah, yeah, in the autopsy. So, well, you know, in, in full disclosure... I did not have a good year this year, lost a lot of hives, and, you know, part of it was was bad beekeeping, I think, but the other is, I think it was a really nasty my year. Yeah, I believe so, From too. From what everybody says, yeah. you know, people treated and treated and treated, and they just couldn't get rid, they couldn't get the mite counts down in the fall, so, uh... But well, I, I know what you're doing, and you're experimenting with different things. And yeah, I have to say, the Valley Crest Yard was kind of a surprise to me, right? It was a shock to me. Yeah. So last year, just to give a perspective, so last year, I was 7 for 7 up there. Yeah. They all made it through. And this year, I had only one make it through of the whole group of them up there. Two, excuse me, two that made it. And I did the same things. I treated the same way. They had plenty of food, so. But it, it does look like, at first glance, like they died from the mite pressure. So, do you think it was timing or timing of, of treatment, or what? What do you think? If you could put your finger on it. Well, I've always been pretty confident that the Formic Pro works, but I, you know, in my experience, it's always worked. Yeah. But I've heard other people say that they get mixed results with it. And maybe that was just, this was the year I got the mixed results. I don't know. I have to ask the question, were they booming? Because you know the kick I'm on. You know, yeah. The, actually, <laughs> funny you say that. Because um, I remember seeing them. They look great, the three those hives. When well, we were up there. Yeah. So, the, so those are all medium hives, right? Yeah. So they all went to win, into winter with four medium boxes, and they were loaded with honey, and they had a lot of bees. So to your point, maybe that's, you know, they also were loaded with mites. I don't know for sure. But what's funny is, you know, I mentor a number of different people. <laughs> they all did great. <laughs> 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 do as they say, not as they do. So I take, well, the other thing I, I know about solace. you is monitoring hives is, is tough when you have so many. I mean, you have a lot of hives for a single person. Yeah. Relatively, right? 
I'm stretching a little bit. Especially thin. since you're helping 90 million people. I, I call you, where are you at? Well, I'm helping so and so. Yeah. You're never yeah. working your own bees. Yeah, that's true. I, uh, <laughs> I, I won't. That, you're kind of like the cobbler's shoes. Yeah, that's an excuse, but. Uh, but here's the other thing. And well, I, I don't I want told people you, think bad I, of you, Bob. I told you about this a couple years ago, and I'm hearing more and more of this. I heard this in the conference yesterday. People who say, I had a hive that after I treated in the fall had uh, 15 mites per 100. Yeah. And it made it through the winter. Yeah. Now, we've always been told that's a death sentence. 15 mites, there's just no way it's going to survive. Well, I have one of my mentees. She treated. We did it, uh, another wash. She had about 10 or 11. We did another wash after treating again. And she went into the winter with seven. And I said to her, guess what? This, this hive's not going to make it. Well, guess what? It's made it through two winters now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I can't explain it. Although, I, I guess I can't explain it. I think it's all about the viruses. I think the viruses are getting nastier and nastier. And if you have a lot of mites that are infected with a lot of virus, you're done. But you can have mites without a lot of virus, I think, and survive. I think the other thing, too, is the virus is local, right? Beekeeping is local. Maybe you have virus in your yard and it wipes your yard out and you have a yeah. bad yard. And down the road, your neighbor does just fine. Yep. You never, I don't know, that such is the mystery. Without the, the, the diagnostics of it. But let me tell you what I saw go through my hives. And I'm actually, I'm going to start with pad eight and go the other direction. Pad eight was the top bar hive. Yeah. Here, I was worried about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Unbelievable. I took the roof off because I wanted to know, was it in trouble? There were bees built out to about the seventh or eighth frame. I'm really happy for you about that So, one. Yep. There's no question that thing is great. Then the next one I wanted to look at was pad six. I don't have one on seven. That's the lion's hive. Now, you and I looked at that hive last summer. The thing was built all the way out. Beautiful. I pulled the, the follower board, and there was nothing at the end. And I said, ah, nothing but a full sheet of honey. Uh-huh. This is on the satellite end, right? Yeah. If you, you know what I, I mean know by it, that. Yes, I do. So I worked my way through the box. I figured, ah, I'll get to about halfway. I'll find bees. Uh-huh. And there was pollen going in the entrance, so I know the hive is, is working. Yep. I get halfway through, nothing. Ugh. Nothing. I get three quarters of the way through it nothing Ooh. do you know that there's only two frames of bees in that hive now you tell me when we looked at that hive last summer yep. it was it was just, it was from wall to wall front to back and the comb was drawn out top to bottom you started that thing from and it foundation. is it's drawn out absolutely Beautiful. and there's probably 120 pounds of honey in there yeah so where'd all the bees go I'm at a loss. Yeah. I found the queen, and I found she's laying in there, but I'm so shocked at the dwindle of bees in that hive. I don't know what to make of it. That is a shock. I was so envious of when I saw your layings last year. I had year. said to you last week, we'll make a split of that hive I, and make a nuke. Now I'm just happy that. if the thing could build out. <laughs> you, you said, yeah, we'll get your layings going this year. 
I still believe we'll get your lands going. Yeah. But I was shocked at how small wow. that colony was. Wow. Now, here's a question for you. Did it just retract? Is it possible that it could have just retracted to that small? Mm. You know, they talk about, say, carniolian bees. They, they tend to, to make smaller clusters or whatever, but yeah. not that small. I, I can't figure that out. No. Did, did you move the follower board at all? No. Okay. No, but the, the, there's full sheets of... Built-out honey from the from the roof to the floor, mm -hmm. which are equivalent of a follower. So they, they should they should make it anyway. They're going to make they're it. They're just not going to. But they they're not going to be help. that booming colony. I thought no. Because the one question I asked you last week is, do you want some bees? Because you got to do swarm control by making a split. There's yeah. no other way, right? Yes. But I was shocked to find that. Yeah. So well, the next hive is the hive that I also didn't think was going to make it through, I was worried about. I was really worried about the top bar and the cedar hive. Mm -hmm. Well, the cedar hive wasn't so strong. The bees are up against the roof. They have plenty of stores. They were in frame 8, 9, and some on 10. Mm -hmm. I opened it up. There was a small fist size patch of brood. Mm -hmm. Saw the queen. And there's eggs all the way around on that brood frame. Oh, nice. So this is where you and I get to say February and March is when the queen starts laying. Yeah. With the expectation that if you get 16 days in March and three or four frames of, of brood emerge mm -hmm. and 16 days in the second half of March, by April, you're going to have three, four, five frames of brood worth of bees, and your cluster is just going to completely take off from there. Yeah. And that's a smaller box, right? Yeah. Meaning that, that colony is small. So I, I don't think it'll do bad, but it's it's not a dink, but it's not a good-sized colony. Yeah, so you should look at the... Uh, you have a brood minder in there? I do. It would be interesting to see when they went up to uh, brood temperature. And so this is there. a funny thing is I did look at that. I was yeah. trying to determine if the hive was still alive and mm -hmm. I could see the temperature swing still going up and down. Uh-huh. But I didn't see that, that lock yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. Huh, but she's obviously laying. But she's laying. And she might have just started laying those days because they were eggs. Yeah. I saw eggs throughout. So literally these three or four days where it was 60 degrees... That might be when she said, okay, time to go. Yeah, because there was someone on Facebook, and I think it was from Chesco, from the Chester County Beekeepers, who showed their broodminder, and it had that distinctive boom, up to brood temperature and stayed there. You know, I didn't look at my poly hive, but then let's go down the polys. Yeah. The first poly is three, six framers. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's nothing to write home about. It's moderate which I kind of like. The four stack was, oh, <laughs> that thing needs to be split like right in the beginning. Yeah, nice. Definitely. In fact, that one could probably be split into two or three hives. Mm -hmm. There's so many bees in it. And do you remember when we looked at the last hive that's on the, the uh, grain scale? I do remember it. <laughs> well, let me tell you, it's as robust as it was when we looked at it. That That's the one that has the... Uh transparent cover the uh, yes, plexiglass right. cover that, i looked across and there were eight seams yeah, of bees i was gonna say that, that <laughs> when we looked at that earlier in the winter 
it was just full of bees every yeah. frame a huge huge cluster bigger than a you know basketball so it's it still looks that way today nice. it looks amazing i think it looks as big or bigger than it did maybe that's wishful thinking but yeah you got to keep an eye on that thing or that thing's going to blow up yep yeah so all seven made it through yeah which is a first for me well, to, again, not since the first season have i ever Made it through with you know, every back hive. Back to what we were just saying, though. You would, you had them really, really well prepared going into the winter. Yeah, but last year I got killed, and this year I made it through. Yeah. Last year you made it through with flying colors, and this year you got killed. So it goes <laughs> to speak about the cyclical nature of this. Yeah. And there's just no rhyme or reason. But I will say, I refreshed all my comb last year. I did a lot of splits, mm -hmm. and I put new queens in. Yeah. And you know what I'm going to do this year? <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. I, and I think that's what hurt you is COVID prevented you from doing all the splits and stuff that you typically do when you're prepping all those nukes for the fairs. Yeah, and, yep. You know, giving yeah. people bees and whatever you do. I have to say, I... I uh... I have a vested interest in your hives doing well, too, because a lot of them are daughters of my, yeah, they're your daughters. My, my best queen. Yes. So if I couldn't keep them alive, at least you could. Well, and you know, as, as novel as this sounds, that's really what we did last year was to try to ensure the genetic existence of your stock, yeah. right? That's done so well year after year. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy to give you bees back so that we can yeah. keep it going. It's funny, though, and we talked about this, this boomer bust, you know? Yeah. You, you can't get too cocky in this business and say, oh, you know, I finally got I got system. a foolproof formula. I got my <laughs> system down. I do this, this, and this, and I have good success. Well, sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. You know, this way in the walk, it's all downhill, did you notice that? Yeah, nice. <laughs> I'm glad, too. <laughs> we have to remember that. Start in high bridge, everybody. <laughs> I think the wind's picking up, though. Yeah. Well, you know, beekeeping season, it's right around the corner. And um, I think I forgot to finish this comment I had earlier. So let me come back to it before I close. I wanted to make jelly. I told you I was working on that. Yes. I followed the recipe. Well, it didn't work. The jelly didn't set. And what I found out is, and what do I know? There's two kinds of pectin, pectins. Ah. There's a solid pectin and a liquid, liquid pectin. Mm -hmm. And the liquid pectin is actually granules. <laughs> but don't, don't ask me what the difference is. <laughs> no, I looked into it. I know. Okay. Uh, one of them you're supposed to mix with fruit, and the other one you mix with liquid to make a pectin, and then you mix it with whatever you're doing. Yeah. And so the one that you mix with fruit was the one that I tried. Uh-huh. Yep. And I didn't know better. I used the wrong one. I mixed mm. it with honey, and it, obviously that's not going to work. Didn't set up. Yeah, I never knew that. So there's a product called Shore Gel. Yeah. Which is, Both I, I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it's liquid. Mm -hmm. But I happen to have some. So one of the things about a jelly is if it doesn't set, you could sometimes go back and rescue it by doing it over. And so I took the jars of honey that I made, of honey jelly, 
and I put shore gel in it and it, and it worked perfectly. Cool. And it's really, really good. And yeah, the, the first question you want to know is why would you make jelly out of honey? I was going to say, what, what kind of consistency does it have? It's like jelly. It is like jelly, huh? <laughs> Literally. Well, but it tastes like honey. So that's why you would Which do messes it. with your brain. It really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the one thing I'll say about shore gel, I'm guessing it comes from like apples or whatever, mm-hmm. is there's a smidge of um, apple overtone or, or some sort of fruity fruity flavor to it, mm-hmm. like a citric acid. You know, when you bite in, you get that tartness of an apple. Yeah. Some of that has come through, which yeah. actually is a nice compliment to the sweet of the honey. But it tastes when you when you eat it. You, you, I gave some to Keith. He was over yesterday. Yeah, it tastes. Just tell me what it is. He goes. It seems so familiar to me. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that would be interesting. Different consistency, not like creamed honey, right? Not like creamed honey. No, it's literally it's a gel. Jelly. It's jelly. But yeah. it. But it. You would swear if you closed your eyes, it tastes like jelly or like yeah. honey. Huh. Like if you if you put a, a spoon in a honey jar and tasted it and then tasted this, you would go, "Yep, they're both the same." Yeah. So why <laughs> why would you want that? Well, the thing that I picked it up was I was watching the Great British Baking Show, mm-hmm. and they made a cake and they made honey jelly because it was a compliment to the theme of whatever the cake was. And I mm-hmm. thought, why the hell would you make honey? <laughs> But that's a reason why. And I said, you know, I think about, like, I eat peanut butter and jelly all the time. My yeah. favorite is the homemade preserves that we make out of peaches. Yeah. I said, well, there's times when I eat peanut butter and honey, which is great, but it runs down your arm. Yes. And I don't have any creamed honey. You know what? I'm going to try this jelly thing and see what that is. Mm. And I think it's a success. I think it worked out really well. Yeah, no, you're right. I eat a lot of uh, peanut butter and honey, and it's a mess. It's messy. It is. And so I gave the recipe for bee sting cake on one of the episodes, and somebody mm-hmm. told me it was broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on that guy who <laughs> never had the website. But if you want the recipe, send me a note, Kevin at BK Corner. I have it, and I'll send it to you. I sent it to a listener who wrote in and said, I'd love to have that. And at some point, if that guy doesn't fix his website, I'll put it up on mine. I don't want to steal his stuff, so that's why I didn't post it. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever heard of honey jelly before. I, I have never heard of it. Well, you know what? It was in that FOA guide uh, from Italy. Uh-huh. So if you look up the FOA or FOA, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But it really is. It's like 100 pages, wasn't it? Do you remember? It was like a PDF. It was so detailed. Super, super detailed about things. It was amazing that we hadn't run across it before, but we hadn't. Well, that's what I said to you when I found it. I'm like, Bob, how could this thing have remained hidden from you and I who have scoured every corner of the internet and nobody's ever mentioned it? And luckily, you know, we found it. And then lo and behold, Deb mentioned it the other day in the talk. First person I've ever heard talk about Just like we were talking about, right? Right. Something you've never heard of, and then all of a sudden you hear it, and now everybody's talking about it. (laughs) Well, I suspect now that I've made it known, it probably had its heyday, and then people forgot about it. Yeah. Like some of these sites that I talk about. Mm -hmm. And now it'll it'll come back because I... Look, take the time, go to the show notes, and find this link. It's, It's astonishing what's in there. You know, and if you want to make creamed honey or anything to do with honey, you want to make, you know, 
it, it, it has, the funny thing was, is it was written for the industry. So sometimes the recipes or different things are written with an industrial slant. Mm -hmm. But it has really strange things in there of how to do stuff that you would never think. And requires industrial machines. But you could figure out how to actually do that. I can't conjure up an example, can you? Not off the top of my head. But, I mean, they have recipes for honey cakes and, and other baking recipes, which is odd, too. But, yeah, just trust me. Go look at this thing. It's worth five minutes to take a look. Hey, listen, I just got in a rhythm with these walking sticks. I know. Just, uh, I did, too. We're hit, moving pretty hit, hit fast clip here. Hit my stride. <laughs> but I feel like it's actually helping me. Yeah, we're using Lakey cork light is the, the version that I have walking sticks and I was telling Bob that I brought him the pair that Sharon uses and this is called Nordic walking it's the, the walking sticks help propel you when you push them down they almost look like ski poles but you use them a little bit differently and they engage your chest and arm and they, they change the way you walk because they somewhat propel you, but they also relieve the stress on your knees. Yeah, you get a good arm workout and yeah. shoulder workout. Your, your shoulder and your upper body really helps to propel you forward. And the next thing you know, you're cruising right along here. We're walking yeah. at a really fast clip. So look at all these things you learned on a beekeeping podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's enough. We could sign off. Anything sign else, Bob, you got coming up? No, just uh, it's going to be a different spring this year, Kevin. We've I think we got spoiled. The last couple of springs were were kind of the right right on weather was right on time, and we got an inch of rain every week for about um, two months. Yeah, uh, and I'm not sure what this is going to look like, but it's going to be different. I think it's going to explode. We're starting to see the buds on the trees, and yeah. Uh, you said you got your first COVID shot. I haven't been lucky enough to do it, but. We're going to EAS this year, are we? <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are. If, Kentucky. If we can get I'm, in. I'm actually talking Friday. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what I'm going to give yet. i got to figure out what presentation I'll put through. But uh, if you're going to EAS Friday morning, I'm in the time slot there. Um, I and, think everybody is just jonesing for some EAS. What do you think? I, I'm hoping that the... The venue is allowed to open up to more participants yeah, and that we too. can have a regular show. I think the key was the CDC thing said if you had your shots, you could interact with the other people who had their shots. Well, they said on the news yesterday morning that by May, June, anybody that wants a shot should be able to get one. Yeah. So that puts us in line for August. Yeah, I think so, too. Even, you know, maybe we have to wear masks. But like you said, I think the vaccine should be freely available by then. And you'd be crazy not to take it. I, I would, uh, I guess they're not going to, you know, it's a funny thing to drive 11 hours to Kentucky for a three-day conference. It but, um, you know, I got to say, <laughs> I reached out to Doug Potter. Mm-hmm. I was going to do an interview with him. And then um, he said to call him back. And my father showed up last weekend. I didn't know he was coming. He called and said, I'm on my way. I'm going to stay at your house. <laughs> so I ended up uh, entertaining him. And while my father's there, things kind of come to a halt. But that's all right. I haven't seen him because of the whole COVID thing. So it was nice yeah. to have him in. 
but I'm, I'm going to get back to uh, Doug and, and get that interview going. I'd like to do more interviews this, this year. Mm-hmm. I think that would be fun. There's a lot of people that, out there that are uh, willing to do it. You just have to start lining them up. Yeah, never enough time for yeah, stuff. I know. Um, I, I'll get better at that. I, I do promise. Um, I, I think there's a lot of interesting people that I've talked to that I could line up and get things going. So yeah, I just got to get on the stick. One of the pluses of this whole COVID year is that everybody's holding Zoom meetings and they're opening them up, a lot yeah. of them, to everybody. So it's not just club members only. It's, you know, anyone. So there's just so much stuff out there. So I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot for saying this out loud in public because I have not discussed it with Northwest, but we've not really had a chance to talk about the mentoring program. Yeah. And I've decided what I'm going to do this year is hold mentoring weeks. Every Wednesday night, Mm -hmm. I'm going to present specific topics for the managed mentoring program. In small little snippets. If you've ever seen LinkedIn Learning, mm-hmm. where they do a 15-minute topic, and then they go to the next 15-minute topic, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to record them on Wednesday nights on Zoom, and then I'm going to post them. You could either come watch them live or watch them after the fact. I'll post them up on the Beekeep, Beekeeping Corner uh, YouTube channel in a playlist. So we'll do managed mentoring for our beekeepers, but to the spirit of what you just said, I think I'm just going to open it up to everybody. And if it benefits others, more, all the better for it, right? No, I You know, we still have so many new beekeepers every year. Yeah. You know, it just hasn't stopped. Just when you think the fad is over and the swell is over, there's more people getting into it. Yeah, this is kind of like closing comments. And I wanted to ask you, you guys are ordering packages, right? Is that what I saw? It was suggested. I haven't done it yet. So we'll have an open meeting in April yes. in the field? Yes. Are you going to do it in uh, Deer Path or Valley Crest? I haven't decided yet. I was leaning toward Deer Path because most of the club hasn't seen those hides. Yeah. As you know, I'm also working with a, a 4-H club, yeah, beekeeping club. So they've got a couple of packages coming too. We're gonna set those up on Devore Farms. So lots going on. Yeah, we're gonna. Lo- I'm looking forward to uh, putting that April date in and, and helping out with that because, like you said, it's been two years since we've had a live, yeah, in-person meeting. So that'll be the first one. Hopefully, I get my shot by then. Would feel better about it. I've still been a recluse for all this. I know. I've hardly hardly been out of the house. I was just happened to be sitting at my computer last year, last week, when I got an email around lunchtime, and I'm typically not there at lunch. And said, "Hey, you want an appointment? Click here." Yeah. Got an appointment for the next day. I'm still waiting for that message. Uh, I've been watching. Yeah. Uh, we scoured everything. We've been on CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, ShopRite, Walmart, <laughs> Hundred and Health Department. You name it, we've tried it. So I'm still trying to get Kathy going. Yeah. Uh, 
up. We just need to be patient and pull up a little bit longer. So yeah. I I'm I talked to Keith and his hive is just banging <laughs> Keith and Karina, so we gotta go get them sorted out this year. I think we're gonna make a split, put them in a nuke, teach them how to do that. But I said to him this morning while I was talking to them, they should come to this managementering thing, right? They follow along with everybody else because they're green like yeah. everyone else who's starting out. Well, it's, it's such an advantage to get your bees through the first winter so you can experience that second season. I'll probably have something more formal to announce on the next show. How you doing? Yeah, I think making a nuke is a great idea. You know, sell them early on the advantages of being sustainable, which means having extra queens, having an extra nuke, yep. that kind of thing. Yeah, swarm prevention. Yeah. Of course. So. Good for him. Well, Bob, how'd we do? All right. Uh, not bad. <laughs> I was wondering if we, you know, we've talked enough that I didn't know what we were going to talk about, but <laughs> I think we filled in an hour plus here. Yeah. All BS. <laughs> no, no. I, you know, I, I get so much positive feedback from our chats. I, I have a lot of people who tell me it's literally their favorite things to listen to. And, um, yeah. I'm glad. We, you know, I always joke We're with pretty you topical, you know. I, I try to avoid you like the plague. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I actually... I wrote you in. I called you this morning and said, oh, by the way, uh, I might bring their recording stuff. I, I, I enjoy these, too. They're fun. Yeah. I know. Like, yeah, who, who doesn't like talking about bees? If I ever become a pain, you just poke me. <laughs> but I mean, look at the look at the setting we had. Except for the wind, you couldn't have got a better way to to catch up with each other. I haven't been out of the house this long in probably a month. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've I've been thinking about is uh, it's not how I feel. <laughs> I yeah. feel like I'm so out of shape. My neighbor commented to me the other day when I was digging and raking. He said, I saw you work for a little bit, and then I saw you sit down. And then I saw you work for a little bit, and then I saw you sit down. I said, yeah, I'm so out of shape. <laughs> so, everybody, last thing I'll say to close this out is still time. <laughs> do some, some stretching. Do some yoga. Do some minor weightlifting, whatever. Get your back in shape. Get yourself in and beekeeping shape uh pretend you're going to the beach but you'll be out with the bees instead and with that i'll say <laughs> like our beloved bees would beekeepers go together they can accomplish great things thanks for listening everyone and uh stay safe we'll talk to you next time on the beekeepers corner <laughs>